Welcome back to Cobbler's Gulch. Episode 14. Hungry for Heads. Hazel and the orphans stepped gingerly across the bridge of the spinning wheel. The river of no return rages and churns and roars below them. Just as they make it about halfway across the bridge, the spinning woman appears in all her grotesqueness and grossness and grumpiness. Her image is one that would have rendered them still as a statue if the spinning woman hadn't already wrapped each of them up in a cocoon of spider silk. She can't eat us. The spinning woman scurries across the bridge and bares her fangs at Squish. And you can't cross my bridge without paying the toll. Yet here we are. Oh, flying flop doodles. Wait a moment. What about that mob that came before us? What about them? Well, did you eat them too? Aye. She scoffed them up, she did. And now she's going to eat us down. She won't eat us down, she'll eat us up. Holy higgledy-piggledy, are you a spider or a pig to be eating so much? My diet is none of your concern. It is if you're going to eat us. If you're going to eat us, your diet is our only concern. I don't have to eat you often. Maybe I'll just bite off your head. Or all of your heads. In a ridiculously unfortunate display of horrible timing, Zip turns into a three-headed ostrich. But he can't find any sand in which to bury his heads. And even if he could, he's bound by spider silk, so so much for that idea. And then the orphans begin taking turns, offering reasons why they should be passed over in terms of becoming a course in the spinning woman's eight-course meal. I don't taste very good. I'm pretty sure, at least, I don't taste very good. I mean, I suppose I could turn into something that tasted better, but I really don't want to do that because I don't want to be eaten. Why did I say that? Oh, my gosh. No, you see, I'd really rather not. I mean, don't don't you already have enough food, you know, elsewhere? I mean, you just said you ate all those others. You know, isn't that enough? No, you don't want to eat me... Uh, uh, all of my nutrients are in the back, in the in the, in, the, in humpback that you see back there, and it's really, really gamey. It's not very, it's not tasty at all. It's really not. It's poison, actually. It's uh, there's there's poison in my humpback, and it really just doesn't uh, taste good, and doesn't uh, uh, the, the texture is bad. The texture is is horrible. It, it just it really wouldn't be a good thing for you. No, no, um. Now, truly, I, I, I am a man of the world, and you see, I have much to offer in the ways of, of education and the like. You see, I've... I, I, do you know what dragon farts smell like, perchance? You see, I do, and 
if you keep me alive, I, I might be able to introduce you to, dra or rather, I might be able to find some dragons with you, and so you can smell dragon farts, so that you'll be able to say, you know what dragon farts smell like, and if you if you eat me now, you wouldn't be able to, to say that, ever. As the other orphans negotiate with the spinning woman, on the topic of being or not being her dinner, as well as on the topic of being or not being decapitated, Hazel admires the spinning woman's bridge. Like so many artists, the spinning woman's subject matter is what she knows. And what she knows is Cobbler's Gulch. So, woven in between the spider silk threads that hold the bridge in suspense is a visual account of Cobbler's Gulch, an historical tapestry, everything from the founding of the town to the Age of Gloom, all the way up to the most recent kidnappings. Because all the images are rendered with the same white material, they aren't so easy to spot. But once your eyes pick up the shapes, the pictures snap into focus. The bridge. Her intrusion brings a halt to the decapitation negotiations. What about the bridge, often? It's... it's wonderful. It's just... absolutely wonderful. Well, of course it is. But it's... It's all tangled up. I beg your pardon. It goes all this way, that way, and the other way. It's a jumbled mess, just like- Oz was going to say that it was a jumbled mess, just like me? An honest to goodness attempt at establishing empathy with the spinning woman? But supremely offended, the spinning woman had, with on the button precision, snipped a single thread of her web, which she then cracked over her head like a whip wrapped up Oz with the thread, and hurled him over the bridge, sending him plummeting toward the river of no return so far below. Oz's use of the word me... Me! ...turned into something a little more dramatic, but appropriate, given the treacherous situation he was now finding himself in. This dramatic yelp then turned into an assortment of wails and squeals and squawks, each of which waxed and waned as Oz swung to and fro over the turbulent waters only a few arm lengths of spider silk from the hungry jaws of dozens of untold terrors just waiting to gnaw on the bony, sinewy legs of a malnourished orphan. There are monsters up here. Even in life-threatening peril, Oz can't help but be mixed up. Now he calls me a monster. Oh, he's just yammering about those monsters in the river. Uh, he's backwards. Hmm. Is he? Well, then perhaps I'll not eat that one. A backwards orphan is liable to wreak all kinds of havoc on my digestion. Better... Cut him loose for the river. Wait! All eyes turn to Hazel. I'll pay. The orphans watch with bated breath. I'll pay the toll for all of us. The spinning woman crawls across the bridge to Hazel and dances her spindly legs across Hazel's swaddled body and spins her into an even tighter cocoon. What payment might you possibly have that could benefit me? Your bridge is so lovely. I mean, it's nearly perfect. Compliments mean nothing to me, orphan. What about... constructive criticism? The spinning woman bears her fangs and hisses. 
Shall I fly you over the bridge, too? My criticism points out no faults of yours. It's just that your silk... What about my silk? The spinning woman does not take criticism like a professional. Well, it's a beautiful shade of white. So it is. You're telling me nothing I don't already know. It has a gray tint. Like a rain cloud that can't decide whether it wants to rain or not. You might want to add some color. Don't you think I would add color often? If I had any color to add. And now, it's Hazel's turn to lure the spinning woman into her web. What do you think of this? Hazel cranes her neck and whips a few honeysuckle curls that are tucked behind her ear. The possibilities suddenly overwhelm the spinning woman. Her designs, while beautiful, have for so long lacked the full depth and richness that they might otherwise possess had it not been for her limited palette. How she has yearned for color, for nuance, for the way that a certain shade could remind her of so much, of the eyes of a handsome man, of warmth, of seeing a giant butterfly, of running like mad to launch a bright kite against the summer sky, of the spring bloom, of so, so much. The spinning woman's world now imprisons her in gloomy white silk, colors coming and going from her only when travelers cross the bridge and the type who are willing to go in the crimson forest are keen on neither pastels nor patterns. So her moments with vibrant reds and verdant greens, bountiful yellows and crisp blues, and yes, honeysuckle too. These moments are rare. The spinning woman reflects on this as her arms and a few of her legs stroke and pick and play with Hazel's curls. The look on her face is that of a painter, mesmerized by the abyss of her blank canvas. Please, someone, anyone, get me Even the orphans had forgotten that Oz was still dangling. So caught up were they in the spinning woman's obsession with Hazel's honeysuckle curls. Why shouldn't I just bite off your head and use your hair anyhow? I guess that's an option. And I would be honored to be a part of your work. Bit off head or not. Holy higgledy-piggledy, Hazel. There's no honor in a bit off head. Even I agree with that. An even greater honor would be if you used my hair today and for years to come. I'm talented, to be sure. But even I can only do so much with the hair you have on your head. Yes, but my hair will grow for the rest of my life. Zip turns from a three-headed ostrich back into himself. That's true. It's true. It's in the sludge. It's just always getting into the sludge. Well, there'll be worse things in the sludge than Hazel's curly locks. Oi. I promise I'll keep you in fresh supply as long as you'll have me. You would promise that? I would, but I can't make that promise if you bite off my head. Or our heads. Right, Hazel? That's right. Well, first you need a head. 
to make a promise. And you also need a head to keep the promise. Huh? I can't make any promises if any heads are bitten off. The spinning woman seems to be yielding when... Please! Hold me down! And I can't make any promises if any bodies are dropped into the river of no return. Speaking of returns, how do I know that you'll return to keep your promise? I'll have to. Why? How could I ever resist seeing the masterpieces you'll make with my hair? In all her years negotiating tolls, the spinning woman has grown quite shrewd. She knows lies and truths when she hears them, and she can see that Hazel is earnest. She winds up Oz and releases the lot of them from their silk swaddles with a few quick snips. Hazel and the spinning woman agree that a forearm's length of Hazel's hair which still leaves her with shoulder-length curls, will suffice for her first fulfillment of the lifelong promise. Nobody in Cobbler's Gulch has hair like Hazel's, none so curly or just her shade. So it's a sacrifice to be sure, and sacrifices will have to be made. Hazel understands as much, but so do her orphan brothers. And in a show of solidarity, each of them surrenders a swatch of his own hair. Squish and Lump trim their beards and leave the spinning woman with coarse, whiskery fabric and fiery red and lemon. Oz leaves her with six inches of his fine black hair. Zip leaves her with a few handfuls of brown fuzz ripped from the root when she takes hold of his hair, and he suddenly turns into a wagon wheel before turning back into himself. Copper has no hair, but he's got an extra bandana fashioned from an old sail that's been discarded in the bunkum barge. Gruff plucks out three dirty brown dreadlocks, and Elwood leaves her with a shock of wispy, wavy blonde. The spinning woman hasn't been so happy in decades, maybe centuries. She immediately sets to work, and the orphans hurry across the bridge and into the Crimson Forest. Thanks for listening. On the next Cobbler's Gulch, The Petrified Warlock. In the meantime, a question for you. What are you sacrificing? Certainly, you have dreams, visions of yourself in the future, a different, better person than you are now in some other distant place. To get wherever that is, to burn off the fog of that future, you're going to have to let go of something, sacrifice what's comfortable now or what's preferable later. Unless you're able to grow more hands. And if you're able to grow more hands... You're probably some other species and don't understand this language and what I'm saying won't matter anyhow. But if you're unable to grow more hands, you're going to have to set something down to pick something else up. You're going to have to make a sacrifice to bring the next version of you into being. And yes, there's a sadness to sacrifice, a grief. But a little further down the path, there's something beautiful there. And a sacrifice, well... That's the price of admission. <laughs>